0: Hello, and welcome to In Her Lens with me, Nadine Rumor. This podcast centers underrepresented voices in film and television, and this season I am specifically delving into climate justice and filmmaking. Who is working at this intersection and how are they shaping new essential ways of making stories? We are kicking things off this season with journalist Liana DeMassi. Liana, who uses they them pronouns, is a journalist, filmmaker, copywriter, and author. Most of their work centers around climate, queerness, and the human condition in response to both. Their work can be found in the Boston Globe, ID Magazine, and Atmos, the latter being where I came across their article titled, The Environmental Cost of Filmmaking. I think it's easiest if we start out by me reading out a little blurb from this article. So, Liana wrote, open quote, In 2020, Chloe Zhao released Nomadland. Large portions of the film are shot in South Dakota. Reds meet yellows and browns for miles and miles. The land dips and rises in succession. A grandiose yet humble offering that serves as a backdrop throughout the film, almost like its own character. Then if you're like me, you consider what's on the other side of the camera. The diesel-run generators, trailers and transportation vehicles, as well as the accumulation of waste left behind by film productions. Indeed, more often than not, filmmaking harms the very land it works so hard to encapsulate. From hundreds of thousands of miles in airline travel, to far-flung locations, to generators that keep equipment and trailers running for days on end, to food waste from feeding an entire cast and crew multiple meals a day, the requirements of keeping a film set running are taxing on the environment." Close quote. So, I think you can understand, by those words, why I wanted to get to know the writer who wrote them. In this episode, Liana and I talk about how we talk about climate, in fiction and in nonfiction. Liana talks about their perspective on journalism and its role in the conversation. We consider the words that we are choosing daily, or have chosen to, until now, and how these continue to shape how we interact with each other and with our surroundings. We talk about the importance of on-screen representation in legitimizing identities and crises. Liana also touches on the morality and the ethics of storytelling in a time of complete environmental meltdown. Liana's to me, is both inspiring, grounding, and they have a beautiful way with words. I hope that you will find this conversation both interesting and useful. So without further ado, here is Liana De Masi. Before we start, I kind of switched it up for the season. I'm going to do seasonal questions, so four mm-hmm. questions based on the seasons, just to get to know you a little bit better. Are you game sure. to do that? Yeah, that sounds great. Wonderful. Okay, uh, spring. Mm. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up?
1: The first thing I do when I wake up is probably get my dog's paw off of my throat. Um, <laughs> he, like, constantly starts to move over forward in the morning and will land across my my throat as a way of either killing me or waking me up. <laughs>
0: it's I, a very, very cute yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Summer, if you could go to any concert of any artist, alive or past tonight, what would you choose?
1: Oh my gosh. Who that, would you choose? Such a good question. I think the first person that came to mind is Joni Mitchell, which is still oh, cool, yes. thank God. Um, but that's the first person that came to mind. So yeah. That's also a great one. <laughs> now,
0: Autumn is a short one. Coffee or tea?
1: mm my body wants me to say tea, but my body and brain and heart are coffee inclined. Yes. Fair enough. And uh, Winter, do you have an
0: affirmation or like a resounding word that you carry with you?
1: Mm. Mm. I think that, um, that's interesting. I always go back to grounded. I like mm. find if I'm like feeling having a hard day or anything like that, I put my feet on the ground and remind myself I'm on the earth. So I guess Mm -hmm. grounded is kind of a a word that feels central to life. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: Um,
0: All right, Leona, you're a writer, a journalist, a creator, and you work at the intersection of climate, gender, health. I first came across one of your pieces in the online platform and the biannual magazine Atmos and the piece was called Environmental Cost of Filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It was very well written, of course, mm-hmm. synced, and it was very eye-opening for me. Will you introduce yourself to us? Where were you born? Where do you reside now? And do you kind of remember your first brush with writing and words and storytelling?
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name is Liana DeMassi. um I say them pronouns. I was born in Westchester, New York, which is just outside the city it's like 45 minutes everyone calls it upstate but it's it's not upstate <laughs> i will um, show you a map and there's a lot more upstate above it but i live in brooklyn now i've been in the boroughs for about i to say five but that's not true about 10 years i am a adjunct lecturer at uh, ccny up in harlem i'm also getting my mfa in fiction at that school as well mm-hmm. and um yeah i'm a journalist i'm the LGBTQ plus editor at Opt Out, um, which is a nonprofit independent news organization, which I really love doing work for for and with. And my first brush with writing, (sighs) the first time I really wanted to write was after reading and then there were none by Agatha Christie and I really wanted to be a mystery novelist. And so I stole a pen on a huge legal pad of paper from my mom and I started writing this, this mystery story about something. The color blue is like very integral to the story. I don't think I ever finished it, but that's, That's uh, I had to have been like 12, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I've just been, I've been writing really ever since.
0: And uh, did you decide in high school, it was something that you wanted to do professionally or when did that kind of grow from Mm -hmm. a passion to a thing that you can do as a job?
1: Yeah. So I originally went to school for forensic psychology Mm -hmm. and really wanted to this is going to be so, so funny to say because I'm like very much like cab, but like I, I really wanted to be oh, an FBI Asian. And so I oh. really wanted to, um, but specifically in the behavioral analysis unit. So I went to school for forensic psychology for a while and then I just realized that it wasn't, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I was majoring that and majoring in political science. I dabbled in the idea of being a lawyer for a little while, but I like hate the logic end of the LSAT. And I just like couldn't. (laughs) And I was like, all you want to do is write. Mm -hmm. Why can't you just do that? And I think that I invalidated it for a long time because I mean, writing is a precarious place to be. It's like, you know, you either, some months are really good and other months you're just like, how am I ever going to survive in this capitalist Mm -hmm. society we live in while writing Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I made the switch my junior, the second day of my junior year, I called my parents and I was like, I'm switching my major to English and, but I'm still going to graduate on time. And so I just like overloaded my schedule and worked really hard. And then, yeah. And then that's kind of the, the trail that that went down for a little while.
0: I kind of want to get us in this conversation. It's all like imagery, but unintended, but kind of from root to bloom, um, because I find journalism and writing such an integral part to the climate conversation in film and television, because there's reflection on screen, there's reflection post viewings and such a need for conversation around how things are created and why things are created. So this is a very big question. But what is your definition
1: of journalism? Oh, what's my definition of journalism? That's so interesting. I actually had a conversation two days ago, about the fact that I think journalism is really shifting, especially with how politicized everything is, especially when we consider climate change, especially when we consider LGBTQ plus rights. You know, people's, our our lives, all of our collective lives are on the line um, with climate inaction and the LGBTQ plus community's lives are on the line every day and their humanity is trivialized every day. And so I think that to be a journalist in this time span and time and space rather means mm. that it's not, you can't really exist and be unbiased. Like you have mm. to take a stand. And and I think also taking the stand is, is entering into factual zones as well. I mean, it is like, you know, taking note of the science, all of those things. But I think that we're, no longer in like a seeing both sides scenario like you can't be like well climate deniers say this this and this and but climate activists it's like climate deniers are denying what's happening and their their viewpoints i'm so sorry are just no longer valid in the in the scope of things right um and neither like what the new york times is doing with with uh trans coverage is like truly despicable Mm -hmm. um it's not a a both sides scenario you can't just be like well are, are trans people people or this person says they're not and it's like we can't be feeding the disinformation campaign and i think for a long time journalism has just been very much about like you have to be unbiased you have to like show exactly every side of the coin and like yeah you can say that there are people who are transphobic but you can't call them You know, you can't shine them in a light that's other than what they really are. I think it's a disservice to queer people, trans people, everyone, really. So yeah, I don't know if I really answered your question, I guess, but I think that journalism is about moving the needle forward with truth at the center and people's humanity at the center as well. And not just like the the both sides of the story.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I was going to ask you next as well, because, you know, I think power is just a small word for it—the the ability to shift the, the social, the political, the economic discourse. That's that's what journalism allows—is that or has that power to report fact in that using language. And you wrote an article or a piece about this as well about gendered language and how we're it's like so ingrained and so beaten into the binaries and rooted as in duality, the us versus the Dem. How does writing about subjects or choosing the words like how do how does how do words legitimize or delegitimize people's experiences and people themselves?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean I think that I think so much of that comes down to who's telling the story. I think that we don't give marginalized folks the the mic enough. Um Michaela Cole actually had a really good speech. I'm going to forget where she gave it. I want to say it was at BAFTA, but it was in relation to giving the marginalized writers a chance to tell their own stories in film and television and not just bring them on because you need to like meet some DEI initiative or something like that um or just to get their story out of them but not giving them enough credit or enough of the reins to really tell their own story. I think that putting the truth out there means yeah letting people tell their own truth you know it means interviewing people that are directly impacted by the story you're telling i think that yeah i just think that people who are experiencing these things people who are marginalized need to be telling their their own stories and need to be at the forefront of that and then in that way language legitimizes the experience yeah.
0: no i think what you said earlier on as well about the choices that were made in journalism or in writing in general with trying to stay neutral or whatever that means or seeing both sides is there is use of language that innately erases uh, somebody's experience or somebody's reality or, or a person or a thing. So I think that that is a a very dangerous and a very precarious line that so many news organizations and so many platforms have fallen off of. Mm -hmm. How does your identity and your life experience How has that shaped who you choose to chat with when you're working on a new piece and the subject matters that you're interested in?
1: Being a queer, non-binary person who writes about those subjects, my brain space is just always around like who can I chat with in this community Mm -hmm. directly? But also my brain switches to, okay, how can I get other people thinking that way as well? Which like the article you were talking about, about gendered language. Yeah. Thinking a lot about, I was writing a piece about abortion rights and how screwed up the adoption agency is or industry is rather in relation to abortion rights. And I was just reading article after article and and like listening to podcast after podcast of just, you know, women giving birth and just the absolute gendered language of all of that Mm -hmm. and thinking like, okay, this is going to be at the forefront of our media cycle right now. This is impacting so many lives And we're not including all the people that it's impacting. And so kind of thinking about, okay, how do we shift that and how do we make our language more inclusive as a whole, as an industry? I also think that when the climate is considered talking to more indigenous people, talking to just BIPOC people and people who have had land stolen, have have built this country and just, again, putting marginalized people at the front. Right. Because I think that what really is happening is that we're not the systems that have existed uh, now are, are what's causing our demise. And I think that not centering people who have been oppressed through that process, um, especially as we consider like how we can make those shifts and changes to a better place is yeah, a disservice and also just not telling the, the full story. So just constantly trying to think about like how to center those those groups of people.
0: Mm-hmm. In the conversation about climate, I think there are certain terms and ideas that need to be established. And I think you would be a great person to help establish them. So we're mm-hmm. probably going to drop these words a lot. And also they're used flippantly in society. The biggest one being capitalism. Mm-hmm. What is capitalism?
1: And how
0: do we live in capitalism?
1: What is capitalism? So what interesting, have you ever seen station 11? Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the characters was trying to download a bunch of Wikipedia pages before the internet completely went out so that we could remember or like take part of the history of then into the present. Mm -hmm. And he was like, should I download Should I delete the one about capitalism? And his mom was just like, we'll probably find a way to invent it anyway. And it's like really stuck with me. Really interesting. Capitalism is the uh, economic uh, structure that us Americans have chosen to um, build our entire country upon. Mm -hmm. And also is the active oppression of, of most people of marginalized people without marginalizing folks we cannot capitalism cannot exist um like free market is is just like such a ridiculous term i think that yeah capitalism centers profit over people and centers white cis straight folks men in particular and Oh yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could go on about capitalism for a very long time. It's like the, it's the beginning and the end of of us is what (laughs) capitalism is. (laughs) Yeah. It is that like
0: in complete and utter inherent and explicit extraction. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's extraction. Full
1: stop. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's just like, it's, it's allowed for us to view the earth as a product and mm-hmm. as a as a resource, not in the way that we view it as having splendor or mm-hmm. being beautiful, but a resource as one that we can use at our whim and will and then discard when we're done with. Right. Um, in the same way that we do with so much. If something's broken, we don't fix it anymore. We just buy a new one on Amazon.
0: Yeah. Again, with also with language the us versus them, like I can't succeed if you succeed. Oh that insistent. Right competition totally Totally. coming back to the free market and all of that then there's i might pronounce it wrong anthropocene hit it
1: off what what is that
0: time frame
1: yeah so there's different time frames that we have existed in we as people but even before us like the jurassic period i'm blanking on almost every other period that we have existed in um right now which is bad but um the anthropocene is Kind of like an official, unofficial, like many people in the climate space use it. It is recognized, but kind of to be decided whether or not this era that we're in will really be recognized in such a way. But it's saying that the current era of climate that we are in has been created by human activity. Really
0: like our, our, as agents, like as catalysts, Mm as geological agents affecting all the physical... Right. Processes, culture, mm. I think, is a, also alongside yeah. capitalism a big word that oh, like culturally we're dealing with this or the culture is something that we throw around a lot. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you you think are a part of that word?
1: Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, culture is what makes a group of people who they are in many ways. It's their values, their morals, things that guide them, their traditions, things of that nature. And I think that societally we marry the idea of culture and society. I think that Mm -hmm. the idea that we, which is interesting because we do say culturally as if we are all one collective and then our existence in capitalism is predicated on individualism. Um, And so it's interesting. We do group us together in ways that are not always accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we are a collective way more than we're not as as a whole. But yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one. That's it's interesting because like we do use yeah. the word culture all the time. But I'm like, I don't know if I am constantly thinking about its definition.
0: Right. No. I, I neither am I. And I was thinking about it too when I was trying to <laughs> come up with my definition of it. Also thinking about like Venn diagrams and covering. It's like right. okay, I. You live in the States. I used to live in the States. There's things that culturally I mm-hmm. relate to, but I also now live in the Netherlands. But then uh, there is a culture of film and TV and art. And then there's mm-hmm. a culture of climate conversation. And in the, right. those are things that we get affected by. But there are lots of people who don't ever think about those things and aren't mm-hmm. in, interacting with that. So it is mm-hmm. an interesting interaction of all the societal things that are
1: going on, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with
0: that. Okay how we talk about climate differs in fiction and in nonfiction and in science fiction. You had a great quote when we spoke before about, yeah, about climate, uh, talking about climate and fiction, nonfiction, science fiction. What was that quote again?
1: I can't, oh, I wish I pulled up who said it, but it was, um, it was in that, uh, good climate stories that kind of, I don't want to, I don't know what to really call it, but that really great resource, I suppose, that you mm-hmm. and I on in our initial call. And I can't remember who said this quote, but it was something along the lines of, if climate is not in your story at all, then it's science fiction. That quote comes from the idea that climate stories are always put in the sci-fi section of the bookstore, or that's just like how they're marketed, the genre that they're put in. Recently, there's been cli-fi, which is climate fiction. Sci-fi is, you know, Star Trek. And that's not real. Yeah, that aren't real. And it's not fantasy either, because that's just a completely different genre. And sometimes the two intersect. But to put climate fiction in sci-fi assumes that climate change isn't real. And so Mm -hmm. it needs to be in its own category. But it also does, yeah, need to be in an integral part of every story. Right. Because if not, then yeah, it's not not real. And then, yeah, it does kind of blend itself in the sci-fi. Where yeah,
0: no, but I think it's quite interesting. And uh, in writing, <clears throat> and you sent me a fantastic article by Amitav Ghosh, who mm. also talked about this idea that we barely talk about climate really in fiction. And it's the same with screenwriting; like you see it come by, but either it's the end of the world, the wasteland mm-hmm. version of the reality, or we are surviving in the end of the world, this kind of saved community, or this like half destroyed world, half not. Why do you think? it's so hard for the realm of storytelling to currently include the realities of the climate crisis.
1: I think because it, I think because of cognitive dissonance, Mm. I think that being able to realize the severity of the issue is really hard for people. I, I recently wrote a short story that I got critiqued in a class and it was about a father and son who had both committed suicide as a result of climate change as a result mm. of like an activism being like, I can't fix this. And, and thus I am only adding to the problem. And I, I wrote right. the story because of a few people who had killed themselves by fire as a form of protest Two in the States. I think one, I think one man was in Prospect Park and then the other one was on the steps of the, of Congress. And so I just got kind of inspiration from their, their actions. Mm-hmm. And then it was the rest of the story was about the the mother and the and the sister who were left behind and kind of their reckoning with that. And people commented and they were like, Well, I guess I I kind of wanted to see a little bit more about like why what was so bad. And like there was thing there were things in the back of the story, like little itty bitty details like about the water running brown and about there is like this really weird and creepy scene where someone's smoking a cigarette and throws it on the ground and a child eats the cigarette and there's other moments of like right. the weather existing in like this really weird and dysfunctional way and there's there's seemingly small moments but they're all very present and real and happening right now mm-hmm. and, and mo- a lot of people were like well what's the what I just like guess I didn't get the severity and i was like well that's the point like no one really gets the severity because when it's going to be at the point where it's too late to do something mm. like then you'll realize, but it's going to be too late to do something. So it's like now when we can kind of take stock in really what's not small at all, the changes that we're experiencing right now are, are pretty vast um, and robust. And I think that if we take a look at them now and start to really engage in change, then, I mean, I would just like kind of take a lot of being present in that. I think it's, it's I think it's really freaking scary. Um, and I yeah. think also writing about it is like, well, it feels so weird. Like if I write something that seems more minimal, am I doing it justice? Mm-hmm. And if I write something like a f- huge end of the world storm happens, am I going a little bit too far off base? It's like, it's weird to try to ing- in- integrate climate change into a story in a way that either feels, scene and that like this is what's happening at present, but are you gonna really be able to take note of what's happening? Or it's like the yeah, the day after tomorrow or something like that, where it's right. like, everything is like and then everyone's like, oh my God, wow, that's like so I guess that's what's coming. And it's like, well, it is what's coming if we don't really freaking, you yeah. know it reminds
0: people. me of um I think it's uh, it, and this is just a bigger conversation on like trend culture and all of that. But like even with that movie look up or don't look up. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah. Same thing where it's like, okay, the end of of the world, sorry, spoiler alert, actually happens. Mm -hmm. And when a film like that comes out or a story like that drops, like everyone's talking about it. Yes. And then it disappears. Yes. And I always wonder when it comes to talking about climate and writing about climate, if it's because it's been so technically introduced to us. So scientifically mm-hmm. is it because it has you know science behind it that people don't know how to practically imply it into work or mm-hmm. are we like you said scared to do we feel personally rough struggling with what our own role in it is because mm-hmm. i mean that's like the whole conversation as well it's like holding bigger corporations accountable versus the individual and when you're writing something you are you might realize your own part of the whole Mm -hmm. and maybe that's looking in the mirror that's too scary i don't know i just wonder what the driving forces are and why it feels so eerily quiet Mm -hmm. in every form of storytelling it's happening but it's not happening on the scale that you would think if there is a war we see it everywhere we're still watching first world war films but we're not Mm -hmm. watching climate films
1: Mm -hmm. in the same scale or
0: production value
1: yeah and i also think that goes to show that we're we are not a proactive people. We really love to look back and look at how silly we were. Um, And then (laughs) we're like, remember that? Like, let's reflect on that a lot because we no longer can do anything about it because it's already passed. And I think that yeah, I just, I mean, I think we're headed, headed towards that, unfortunately. And also Mm -hmm. it's hard when, you know, you say it's true about don't look up. I mean, we, everyone was talking about it and then it kind of went away. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just the nature of film and the news cycle as well. It's just like, everything just gets circled around and goes and goes and goes. But I think that, yeah, there's just like a, there's a real cognitive dissonance to being able to really see what's going on. And I think that we feel like we need to be so over the top Mm. when we show what's happening in order. It's like a, right. Like the thing coming towards the earth to, to kill us in that movie, obviously is a metaphor for climate change. So if like we show them just next to what we're trying to talk about, then maybe they'll kind of see it because we can't sometimes like the, the viewer can't look at something straight on Mm -hmm. um if they look at something adjacent it becomes much more cathartic and resonates a lot more and also it's a movie and it's so there's just like a there's a real disconnect i think between what's happening in the news media and what's happening in in film and fiction in terms of yeah like ownership about what's really going on Mm -hmm. um Because it is true. Like we talk about war all the time, even in the news. I mean, obviously it's very important to be covering what's happening in Ukraine right now. And it's also, we're experiencing so much across the globe Mm -hmm. when it comes to climate change. And the the stories just don't get like positioned in in the same way. And it's a huge threat. And Mm -hmm. yeah, we just don't cover it in the same way. Yeah. Let's
0: turn to film and the discoveries that you made while writing your piece that I I read that obviously I'll link everything in the episode Mm -hmm. notes. Putting story aside for a second and focusing on this concept that you knitted of intent versus execution, film Mm -hmm. harming, as you wrote, the very land that it tries to encapsulate. Mm -hmm. Again, comes also down to capitalist roots and the obstruction for climate justice. Capital is intrinsic to film making money. Do you think that conversation, I mean, it's happening on some scale, but what kind of conversations did you find or do you think are happening when it comes to productions and at what stage are those
1: conversations being had? Totally. Yeah, I think that I think that there's a lot more going on right now than was going on even just 10 years ago, that there's a urgency and desire to be more sustainable. I think that whether that's because they've gotten, the industry itself has gotten ridicule or because people are realizing what's really going on, I don't know. But I do also know that there are people in the industry, whether they're talent or, you know, whether they're key grips or whatever, like from all stages of the industry who are climate activists. And so I think that being within the industry and having a voice and a say like that has helped change that, that a little bit as well. I mean, a lot of people have sustainability coordinators that they credit in their films. A lot of people are, you know, there's that Earth Angels, those folks that I talked to, um, they are New York based, but I'm, there's a couple other production companies um, and folks who do similar, similar to what they do. I think it's just about everything from the production to the story. You know, it's, it's like, okay, how are we engaging in recycling? How are we cutting down uh, our waste on set and how are we being accurate climate storytellers as well? And just, I think, again, going back to the truth of it, right. Just like focusing on truth over profit, which is so hard to do in an industry that is just absolutely built on profit. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's really the thing about climate change, too, is like, okay, how do we make climate change profitable? How do we make green energy profitable? How do we make this marketable and enticing to switch our way of life into a way that's more conducive to our survival? And Mm -hmm. I think that the industry will not be able to survive unless it makes the changes it needs to make. Um, And I think that it realizes that quite a lot. I also think that COVID probably made, took like a hit to that. There was just like COVID waste was just really, really intense in terms of like single-use plastic coming back in terms of, you know, health safety. But I hope that as we start to, I don't know, come out of that, if that's the thing we're going to come out of really now, you know, start to kind of be a little bit more conscious about about how we engage on set and, and the rest yeah. of the world too. Yeah.
0: I think about the waste that was created during the pandemic. Mm-hmm maybe once a day and it is, it is talk about single use things, masks, everything like oh, yeah, I know. quite terrifying in writing the piece more of like a background on your work, your process as a journalist, just discovering something like this or expanding on a sup- subject like this, where people are willing to talk to you. Is information readily available about things that happen on set or mm-hmm. how did you na- navigate that sphere? Like for example, the Mad Max Fury set, if you want to touch on that for the listeners who don't know what I'm talking about.
1: Sure. So <sighs> Mad Max, just one of my favorite movies. So good. And it really does mm-hmm. deal with climate change. And like- yeah, so
0: it's, a, it's yeah. in this situation, like the perfect
1: example right. of
0: like intent versus execution.
1: A hundred percent. So it's like, it's a film that really deals with the, not the end of the world, but what happens at the, after the end of the world and, and what society could kind of turn into and look like especially as like water conservation is considered shot in desert. And so really eroded a lot of the land that it was filmed on during the process of filming. And that information came from a few studies that happened in relation to that. And there were also a few I don't want to say, like legal, I mean, yeah, there were a few like not legal cases necessarily, but there were, they were ridiculed for it. Um, by mm. the local community and government. And so there was a lot of information about that. Um, in uh, Namibia, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, and I think also that's another thing too, like when you're filming in, you know, US national parks, there's like the permit process, like you have to be, there's a whole thing that you have to go through in order to be able to film in certain areas. And I think that having people that are familiar with the land, be able to decide what can and cannot happen. Uh, in that area, um, in order to preserve the ecosystem is huge in terms of people being forthcoming. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, the folks I talked to were really forthcoming a hundred percent. I also think that certain productions are more forthcoming about their processes, especially if they're proud of the sustainability right. <laughs> practices that they have. Right. And otherwise you'll hear about mishaps because, the local government got involved with what they were doing. Right. Otherwise it's not going to, it's, mm-hmm. it's bad for marketing. So it's not going to like get leaked out intentionally anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that yes, yes and no. I think that a lot of people are scared of not being at the forefront of the climate crisis right now, which I, it's like at this point, it's like if it's fear that's going to fuel you, then like, whatever, just like if you're afraid that you're going to, you know, people are going to see your movie, if you don't do it right, then like, that's good. Like let that kind of guide you. But yeah, I think that people are kind of hesitant to, you know, fully let the uh, the doors open for people to come in and see things, um, especially as they start to kind of still navigate what sustainability looks like on set.
0: Right, and I think it's interesting what happened with with Mad Max, like in the terms of morality and ethics, and the morality of the influence of film, of course, as well. There are so many actors and creators. I think back to like. Uh, what was it called before the before the flood with Leonardo DiCaprio and then Nike got a famous name, an important subject. Also big boom when it first came out. Yet there are other sides to that morality coin.
1: Right. How do you view that? I think that people have a hard time with the news. I also think that we are existing in a place where the news is so hard to differentiate between fact and fiction. And so art is a really great way to reach a mass audience and get them thinking about something in a way that also provides relatability, entertainment, catharsis, like all of these things. So it's crucial and really important to tell stories. It's also really hard to do so in book form in the world that we live in. And I think that we live in a streaming world. And I think that when you are able to make a show or a film about something, you are ensuring that it reaches a larger audience. I mean, we've been making art since before we really had language to speak. And I think that it makes so much sense that we are telling this story in the form that we are. Yeah, I mean, every industry, every sector of the world has grown used to the way we have lived. And that way we have lived is no longer conducive to survival in the long term. And so I think that there just needs to be an adjustment to how we engage with film and how we produce film. I see a lot of uh electric, you know, vans and uh dressing rooms and all that like that lined up in the streets even in Brooklyn and I think that even making adjustments like that is huge. You know, not going over filming time just because you have the budget to do so. You know what I mean? Like every little freaking thing counts and matters like compostable crafty like everything everything starts to to influence itself changes need to be made so that the execution and the intention are more aligned i don't it's hard to say you know it's like intention sometimes isn't beyond capitalism like this is a hot right. topic right now it's like in the same way where we start to see um you know more queer and trans folks in film and we're like well this is really great for visibility and also are you doing this because like it's like a hot thing to be doing right now like but, and then it gets to the point where it's like, well, I guess it's better than you not doing it. It's like, it's so it's, it's kind of a difficult space to exist. I think that giving people the benefit of the doubt to be folk like to, that is, you know, well-intentioned is, is positive. But I think that we also, yeah, I just think that our execution needs to be more. Yeah. Alive.
0: I mean, it's a painful, it's a painful sphere to like question. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to those like hot topic things that culture jumps on, right? Mm-hmm. Like. And same. We yes. yeah, same with representation on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah. Why are we doing this? And should I question or should I go with it? Right. It's it's frustrating and painful, especially if it's about you. You know. Where do you see yourself go in this in this intersection? Like, what are things that you are interested in in exploring and questioning and writing about? Um, mm. yeah. yeah. Where do you see maybe climate and 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 journalism and media intersect in the future
1: where do i want to go or where do i think i will go i don't know i'm like the i think that journalism needs to continue to focus on what's really happening i think i mean i could i think corporate media is a huge issue right now Mm. i think that you can get so much climate coverage in independent news, right? You have to consider, you found an article of mine on Atmos, they're a nonprofit um, publication. You know, you consider grist, you know, even folks that don't solely focus on the climate, focus on the climate more than, than corporate media does. But the majority of people get their news from corporate media. Right. Um, so I think that in the same way that the film industry, I just, we mean, we, we need to destroy capitalism. Really, that's the, that's the issue. We need to like decenter yeah. the idea that we need to make a profit. And so, you know, climate is really polarizing. And so it's also no one wants there to be a war, right? But it's really entertaining to watch information about a war happen in the same way that we really like to watch war movies and the same reason that we really like to watch horror or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it allows for a release and it's not happening to us directly, mm-hmm. us here from our computers watching something or from our TVs watching something. I think that, yeah, I think we just really need to focus on the truth, even if the truth isn't super profitable. But yeah, I just think we're doing a doing a major disservice to, uh, to not be centering what's really happening with the climate.
0: Yeah, and like what you said about profit too, that where we see profit... Mm-hmm. Is how we are now, you know, functioning in capitalism. And it's like maybe that's where we're, where the moving of the needle needs to happen more than anything. If if we are living in this in this system, you would think that the ultimate profit would be us living on a healthy planet. You would think, but I mm-hmm. guess we don't have that perspective yet. Yeah, I
1: guess not. Yeah, no.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's truly yeah. really so fascinating. Um. Mm-hmm. To close, I would like to know what is something that you are looking forward
1: to this year I think I'm just excited to be more creative and also Mm -hmm. figure out how to you know your last question like how to kind of intersect that creativity with with journalism and with moving the needle and yeah just engage and be an active member of society that hopefully makes it so that we have a planet that we can live on and still make art on the planet that we live on
0: I think that that's like my biggest takeaway from this conversation is, is that ability for us to be active participants in how we live in the system and that we're being taught that we aren't, yes, but we are. Yes. And by writing and by creating and by having these conversations, we can mm-hmm. do that. Yes. And yeah. just
1: incentivizes not to. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. We have way more power and autonomy than we think we do. And we are also, another thing that capitalism does is makes us really freaking tired, so it, makes, it renders us tired, yes, yeah. really, really tired, and so it makes it really hard to engage, but I think that the more we do, the more we realize we can do, so I think just being being kind of active in that and then focused on that is is pretty huge, yeah
0: well, that is a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, neon. I really really appreciate it thank you too,
1: likewise, yeah. <laughs>
0: If you just scroll down to the episode notes, you'll find all the articles that we spoke about, both written by Liana and by others. Thank you, Liana, for spending time with us and sharing your words and the work that you do. I am very much looking forward to continuing to learn from your thoughts on today's most poignant subjects. I'll see you next week as we continue getting to know the people who are reshaping how we create film and television sustainably, regeneratively and equitably. If you have any feedback or thoughts on the episodes or if there's anyone you think we should talk to, you can email us inherlenspodcast at gmail.com. And you are more than welcome to any respectful chats and discussions on Instagram too at inherlenspodcast. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next week.